Welcome to the Following Films Podcast. I'm Chris Maynard, your host. Today I had the chance to sit down with Kim Miles, cinematographer on Welcome to Marwan, the Michael J. Fox documentary Still, Champions, and Lost Ollie. I had Kim on the show to discuss his latest project, the Netflix original series, The Brother's Son. The story in The Brother's Son is set in motion when the head of a Taiwanese triad is shot by an assassin, and his eldest son, Charles, heads to Los Angeles to protect his mother and brother, who have been completely sheltered from the truth of his family until now. Before our conversation with Kim, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's, an independent bookstore that believes in the magic of storytelling and the cinematic arts. If you're looking to expand your collection of films, music, or books, visit your nearest Bookman's and discover something truly wonderful. If you haven't already, please follow the following films podcast on Spotify to show your support. This will help us to continue to bring you in-depth conversations with the talented individuals who shape the world of cinema. The Brother's Son premieres on Netflix January 4th. I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Fair enough. Um, Thank you again, Kim, for taking the time to do this today, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you for doing it on a Sunday. I'm sorry about the, the our horrible work schedule. No, I, it, Sundays work great for me. I, you yeah. know, no work, no kids. It's uh, you know, they're kind of just hanging. They're still sleeping in right now, so it's perfect. Right. It's a great time to do it. So, All right. I appreciate it. Where are you at? I'm in Winnipeg. In uh, Winnipeg. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. What's going on up there? Uh, making a Lionsgate movie uh, based on the um, uh, the book that uh, that I didn't know, but people seem to know, uh, called the best Christmas pageant ever. Not familiar with it. Yeah, apparently it's it's people hold it near and dear. And so <laughs> when I saw the title, of my agent and I were like, mm. uh, so, but, <laughs> but um, but it's really great, kind of a you know heartwarming Christmas. We were trying to make a trying to make a new classic. You know, maybe we'll see. There you go. Nice, nice. Well, I think you've done that a couple times already in your career, where you've been involved in some things that definitely are going to have some legacy. So, um, I, I was there's you're one of those guys that has had work that i could imagine just diving into any one of these and then it's always the okay what's the thing we're supposed to be talking about today all right i'll I'll watch that and get through that and it'll be fine but i really want to ask all these questions about this other stuff especially like you know having devoured yellow jackets in like about three weeks ago but then when you got to the moment in the opening of this series where the tv flips around i was just oh okay i'm i'm on board completely with this thing this is something that i'm when I see in every episode of this, literally things that I've never seen before in oh, right like action and copy. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I could go through the specifics of it, but there's just from a visual sense, some of the things that you do here are really impressive. And I'm just wondering, um, talking about the idea of, from a visual point of view, how you address the balance of comedy and action, because I think you do both really well here without undercutting either one where it's not so the it's not so over the top and goofy that it doesn't have carry weight and have seriousness but it also is intense and it does have it's just but it's still funny as hell so it's it's a really difficult balance to pull off yeah it's fun i think you know a lot of the a lot of the camera cues i think between action and comedy are similar you know we want to be um the physicality of what's going on is more important than it is in drama so um so that sort of lends itself to it you know being being wider seeing more of what's happening and and um, we picked um, the two, three, nine aspect ratio early mm-hmm. on uh, so that we could tell more story, you know, within the frame and um, 
and also, you know, kind of pay a little bit of homage to the uh, to old Hong Kong action movies. You know, all the all the old uh, Cathay films and stuff. You know, that were shot in scope. So, um, yeah. So I think it was just a matter of um, finding those similarities. You know, that between the action and the comedy, and and uh, and letting those play out. The cast was so great, so that made it a lot easier to you know um, to shoot. The the director uh, Kevin Tancheron and I had been. We'd worked together about 10, 10 or 12 years ago, I think, on, on a Mortal Kombat uh, oh, reboot. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, years and years ago. Um, so we had a really good shorthand. And, and when this came up, um, uh, he said, let's let's do it. Come down to LA and let's, uh, you know, let's make the show. So, um, and we really wanted to um, eschew the, the Hollywood um, action cutting style. Uh, in favor of a more Jackie Chan, more Hong Kong style, um, wider is better, you know, uh, embrace the choreography. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, um, it, it's, I think we found a little bit of a blend. It, it didn't, it didn't live as much as I was hoping it would in big wide, you know, where you could watch everything kind of play out in the, in the proscenium. But, um, but I think we found a nice blend of between, between that and between, you know, the, the Hollywood style of cutting, you know, rapid fire cuts in action. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> and the, the, the writing, you know, one of the things that, that we were really conscious of my, I grew up in Malaysia, so my mom's Chinese, my dad's, uh, from a mule farm in Missouri. Um, wow. and, uh, <laughs> yeah, one of the things we wanted to kind of embrace and we felt was, was a little bit underrepresented in Hollywood was, was, uh, an Asian perspective in, in, in the creative, you know? Um, now we're starting to see it a little bit more, you know, with a bit, with a bit more of this, um, a bit more diversion and a bit more, uh, um, I don't want to say affirmative action, but, but, you know, there's more inclusion in Hollywood now. And, and this show is very much focused on, on bringing as many Asian, Chinese, you know, Taiwanese, uh, crew members together. So a lot of those, what, what we found right away was everybody had commonalities in, in things like, um, how important food was, you know, how, how, how central food is and sharing meals is to culture, how mm-hmm. important, um, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Charles son, the triad boss, if mom says, sit down and shut up, <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of, you know, you just, that's the end of it. So, and, and that translates, I think through, you know, we, we all started the show thinking, oh, those are all, you know, uniquely uh, Chinese or uniquely Asian uh, cultural traits, but we found out that they're not, you know, they're, they, they're for everybody. So it becomes accessible to everyone. So, um, so that was a, a huge thing. And I forget where I was going with this point, but um, um, trying to breathe a little bit of, of Asian influence into the show was, was kind of an important thing, you know, in the beginning. There's something that's really, I think, interesting that happens when you make something that's somewhat, specific and singular and you're honest to that and you're very honest to that experience it ends up becoming universal i think when you attempt to speak to a larger audience it, you end up just making something that doesn't really connect with anybody but if you make something that's highly specific it becomes you speak to truths that are that we all go through even though we think they're unique unto ourselves that they're actually it's the same shit everywhere yeah yeah and that, that's that's very true and and there's so much you know in this in this world you know where we're all sort of rediscovering different cultures and rediscovering each other as, as human beings i remember growing up in malaysia which we, we um i'm probably going to get in trouble for this is is 
to me, the most harmonious racist country in the world. <laughs> um, everybody, everybody just gets along. You know, everybody yeah. embraces all the the um, the ups and downs of each particular uh, culture, each particular uh, race. And people are able, or at least they used to be able to just to laugh at themselves and to laugh at one another and, and just, you know, embrace one another. And, and that's something that it feels to me has been filtered out of society and in these efforts to make everybody um, comfortable and to avoid offending anybody. We've lost a lot of, um, um, a lot of, an, a, a lot of humanity and a lot of, you know, um, you don't feel like you can just put your arm around someone and say, Hey, you know, how's your day going? Cause it, it, you know, so hopefully we're heading in a way that, that um, peels back some of those layers of, of, of trying to protect one another from ourselves and, and letting, you know, human beings be human beings again. I think one of the, it, it's like a lot of things where that kind of intent behind those actions, they're, they're meaning well by not wanting to hurt somebody or not wanting to offend or doing those things. But what you end up doing is isolating people from one another in the end. And it's something that's just, it's counter and gives the exact opposite of what you want to do. And really, I mean, for me, talking shit to each other is my love language. So as soon as somebody starts making fun of me, I feel like, okay, we're, we're going to be okay. Like that, that's, yeah. it's, if somebody's yeah. holding me at an arm's length and being protective of me, that, that, that's uncomfortable to me. I agree. So, 100%. Can you talk a little bit about some, a lot of the mirroring you do with the brothers um, where something like the driving of the cars and the way that you show the, you know, the way they start things up and get things going. One's in a Nissan and the other's in a Lamborghini and these kinds of things that you go back and forth with that are just, it, it just kind of pulls the, you know, takes the piss out of like what would normally be this, you know, kind of badass. look at this tough guy driving this car kind of moment, but because you've treated it in the same way on both sides, it's amazing. And it's just this kind of thing where you're drawing parallels between the brothers. So it's doing heavy lifting as far as like telling the similarities between these two, but also pointing out the differences between them. And it's just, it's this wonderful little details in the film throughout or I film. Sorry. It's, in, it's the a lot of fun in the show. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. And, and Byron, you know, being from that culture, Byron, our, our, uh, our showrunner and, and, uh, and writer and, um, and Brad were so, in tune with that, you know, and, and having seen both, you know, growing up in Malaysia, seeing both sides of that, of that coin, you know, I, I went to an international school and, and there are kids that show up in Lamborghinis, you know, that have, that come from families that have wealth that you wouldn't, you know, yeah. Um, and, but there's also kids that are just, you know, like, like Sam is in this show that are just hard workers that are just there to try to, you know, try to make a difference and try to get through the, so yeah, it was a lot of fun putting putting Charles the the city slicker and behind the wheel of the uh, of the Nissans getting through town. You know, um, yeah, it, it was it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of stuff visually to um, to um, to differentiate the two worlds. You know, we were we were uh, using a different set of lenses in Taiwan uh, or uh, Taiwan, I should say. We didn't. I didn't actually go to Taiwan. Um, then we did in San Gabriel. You know, we wanted to keep mm -hmm. the the um, the Taipei side of things really slick and really neon and very, you know, very cool sort of modern colors. And then, and then the, and then kind of play the, the stereotype of, of Los Angeles, you know, Hollywood yeah. um, on itself, you know, and when we finally get to LA, it's this kind of dusty sort of washed out um, 
San Gabriel Valley, right? Where yeah, uh, where people drive Nissans and live in little houses that are you know on a street where where the uh, uh, the street light outside the kitchen blasts the entire kitchen with this orange light. You know, our the backstory we said was. Um, you know, uh, uh, we had a, a chat early on when we were shooting that first sequence, um, which was the uh, the the giant fight in the in the kitchen when Charles first comes oh, right. to LA. Yeah, um, and uh, I think it was Brad, producer, came and, came by and said, "How come? Like, why is it so bright with that that orange light?" And I said, "Because nobody wanted to buy this house because that street light was outside, and Mama's son saw an opportunity <laughs> to get a." To get some real estate for cheap, and we can always live with that. That's, that's fine, you know. <laughs> so that was the. Uh, so there's all sorts of little, you know, little sort of backstories, and and whether those are real, um, real justifications or just ways that uh, <laughs> we kind of explain things away on the day, we just had a lot of fun with that. Well, there's something that happens when you do that, though. Whether it's just by you know design or it's something that you're simply saying, well, this is what we have. Let's work with it. Where it feels more honest. You know, when you go to the, it's that in that kitchen, the, the, it feels like this isn't a Hollywood set. This is just, it feels more lived in. It feels more natural. It feels more real. When you go to the college and he's in that small little room taking the test, it doesn't feel like it's in whenever you have those tests in a Hollywood film, it's usually this giant room with 500 kids sitting there in a lecture hall, which happens in schools, of course, but that doesn't feel like that's what this would have been. And it just feels more honest, even though if that was something that was, you wanted to be in the lecture hall, but because of time or constraints or whatever it was, you end up there. It still works though. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, there was a kind of a banality to just be, you know, um, excuse me, there's the, there's the romance of, you know, sending your, uh, again, coming from Malaysia, a lot of my friends went overseas to go to school. They went mm -hmm. to Ivy league schools you know, places in, in the UK and in Australia. And you have this sort of fantasy that they're attending these oaken halls, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it's all, uh, and, and yeah, so the, the, the community college, um, aspect of this was just the, Hey, you know what, here's the reality. You've got the romantic side of it. And, and here he is in a room with aluminum windows and, you know, um, yeah. So that, now, that was awesome. This is going to be something that's like hyper specific, but there was a moment, I don't know if this is a, a visual reference or not, but when you went to, there's this, um, I don't want to give anything away, but there's a guy who's dealing in animals. And when you go to his sort of area, you go to his office, for lack of a better word, it, there was, in that moment, it felt like something from Blade Runner. Um, just in when they go to see the animals and see where they're coming from in Blade Runner, when they go to get the examination of the, you know, the scales on the lizard or right. the snake or whatever it was. Was that a visual reference point for that? Or was that just something I was drawing an unnecessary connection there? I, I love that you did. It wasn't particularly, but we did know that we wanted to be that that world wanted to be its own kind of um, unique little corner of the underworld, you know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, even even as as underworldly as it is, it's so uniquely Asian, and like it's the he's the guy that deals in the exotic animals. Like, there's always somebody that you can go to to get the, the exotic animals when you need to. I mean, of course there is. Um, so, yeah, but we did want to keep it, you know, almost. Um... Today's episode of the Following Films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So the last time I went into Bookman's, I went straight over to the movie section, as I often do. And I was so excited because one of my favorite things that happens when I go in there, I'm looking for a movie and I don't know exactly what I want to see something I've been meaning to see and there's a blind spot. 
And when I saw East of Eden, I was super excited because it's a movie I've been wanting to see for years. But for whatever reason, I've just never gotten around to it. So the film adaptation of John Steinbeck's East of Eden, it's a powerful cinematic achievement. I, I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it absolutely does justice to the novel's what can only be described as profound themes and the complex characters. It's directed by uh, Kazan and features outstanding performances uh, from the whole cast, but mainly here by James Dean as uh, Cal Trask. The film captures the essence of the book while adding its own visual and emotional dimension. Uh, the cinematography, which looks absolutely incredible in 4K, captures the rugged beauty of the California landscape. So it sets the stage for this intense family drama that unfolds throughout the film. And the screenplay manages to condense this complex novel that is East of Eden without feeling truncated. It makes this really intricate plot, takes that and then just condenses it down and really only gets the essential elements of it. And all the themes are still intact with love, jealousy, and the struggle between good and evil. That's all there. And it doesn't feel like a lesser than. It feels like a compliment to. Um, if you've read East of Eden and haven't seen the film, definitely catch up on it. Highly recommend it. If you've only seen the film and haven't read the book, definitely check out the book as well. It's worth your time. Uh, but in the movie, James Dean's portrayal of the troubled cow, it's nothing short of iconic. Uh, it showcases his raw talent and charisma. The supporting cast is also incredible, especially Julie Harris, I think does an equally compelling job here um, with just an outstanding performance. And there's a depth and authenticity to these characters that wasn't very common for this time. So it's something pretty remarkable here. Uh, East of Eden, it's absolutely a classic that continues to resonate uh, to this day, still holds up. Um, I think that's mainly because of its exploration of human nature and the complexity of family dynamics. It's a timeless masterpiece that deserves a place in the annals of cinematic history. And I think it's there. It just took me a long time to catch up with it. Uh, this is a must watch for anyone who appreciates powerful storytelling and exceptional performances. So remember, next time you go to Bookman's, they have your cool covered. Hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Not that he designed the place, you know, to be like that, but it, but it, it's, it's almost self-consciously um, over-stylized just, to, just for the sake of it, because we could, you know, it was, yeah, it was lots of fun. Well, it, there's that, there's a lot of undercutting, but in the design of it, where it's, there's almost a self-awareness where it's either making fun of the character through design or it's something that you're just illuminating something about them and that was definitely one of those ones where it was just you're right it's so exaggerated that it just there is a, a tongue-in-cheek aspect to it which it's but again it still carries the weight of it which is something that's really tough to pull off and in that moment when there's your first learning um something about an honor code um, in that scene. And then when that's yeah. repeated back from Michelle Yeoh later, it's done for humor. And so when it's the, oh, they had the exact same reaction to this. It's just all these little, really tight little beats that happen within here that if you're not paying attention, I think you could lose sight of some of these and how detailed the, this particular story is. Yeah, we spent, there, there was a lot of attention paid to that. You know, I personally, you know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Tancher and I were talking about, about movies and, and, 
and how you, you get so much more satisfaction when you when you when you see a show or, or a movie and you feel as though you know life is this long linear kind of thing mm-hmm. and the story we're telling is a little is this little piece of it you know it's not the beginning the middle and the end like in a traditional story it's just a glimpse into this you know as the truck Train is going by. You're picking these three cars, and you, you see those as you yeah. go by. And that's that's what I think grounds the show a lot is that it feels like there's a life that's bigger than the show going on, always around us, and and we're just witnessing what we need to witness to get our story through. But that you know, but there there is a greater story that's continuing, a glacier that's continuing to to go by, and um, and you get so much more value from that you know when everybody's thinking in the big picture you know instead of just saying what do we need to tell the story in the scene it's like what what aspects of this person's character come to bear that make this scene funnier or make this scene more more uh uh heavier or you know um and it, it gives it so much more richness i think than than just contriving um narrative to fit the movie you know rather than just sort of fitting the movie within the narrative no, uh, absolutely. It's it's when you feel the world outside of it, it gives it the option that you could head off on any deviation and the world could just open up in any direction because it feels like that's possible. It doesn't feel like this is a chamber piece. You know, this is not something that's it just feels like yeah, there's an entire exactly. lived in world here. Um, could you talk a little bit about just another one of these action sequences in here where there's I, I'm just going to call out one specific moment where somebody has their hand knifed to both the floor and a table at the same time. And that again, that's something that I literally have never seen in a film before. I watch a lot of action. I'm by no means an expert, but I watch a lot of action films. That particular moment is something, and I won't give away the punctuation at the end of that thing and how it ends, but it's, oh, I've never seen that before. And I have definitely never seen the thing that ends this before. Can you talk a little bit about putting that particular moment together? <laughs> Well, that was that was day one, I think, of shooting on the entire season. Was, Are you was, serious? Yeah, so we we didn't uh, we didn't ease into it by any means. Um, uh, our fight choreographer, stunt coordinator, is Justin Justin Yu. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time on on the teams that did uh, the John Wick movies and and uh, Fast and Furious and stuff like that. So he was, um, I don't, he wasn't the coordinator on those shows, but he was you know uh, quite high within the hierarchy of of those uh, those crews. Um, and I think this was, I could be wrong, but I think this was, um, an early opportunity for him to really, um, step up and, and run the show and his, uh, creativeness, creative creativity, his attention to detail and their sort of fastidious, um, work ethic was what gave us all of the, the choreography and all the fight, um, sequences. Those all came from, um, from Justin and from Kevin and from Byron, uh, our showrunner. Um, but it, you know, there, a lot of it was on the page was written on the page. Um, mm-hmm. I can't underplay how much Justin contributed to, to making those fight sequences leap off the page and become, you know, uh, and come to life. So that was a sequence that was written the way it, the way it appears on the screen. Um, uh, so it's from the mind of Byron and, uh, Byron and Brad. Um, but uh, but yeah, and we and we put it together, you know, with Justin's help on set. It was it was a definitely interesting way to start the series. <laughs> um, shoot, that was that was shot on stage. We had uh, that the house, uh, Mama's house, was built uh, was a built set on stage, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it made for a very busy first 
two or three days that we did that sequence. Um, we learned very quickly about what we'd, uh, how much we'd bitten off um, on day one, <laughs> and uh, uh, and how much we could accomplish. But you know, we 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 were always kind of confident because we we had that sort of um, plan to to going back to the Hong Kong filmmaking stuff. We always had the plan to kind of stay wide and not, yeah. you know, not do too much cutty cutty stuff. Um, so even though the fight sequences were quite the choreography was quite complicated. We, we naively at the time thought, well, you know, we're staying wide so we can spend more time doing multiple takes of the wide stuff and getting it, you know, getting the choreography right. And then, you know, rather than spending time setting up tighter shots, you know, yeah. shot on a fist hitting a thing and a, and a, you know, uh, of course we ended up doing everything anyway and uh, got behind pretty quick <laughs> the first couple of days of shooting, <laughs> uh, but we found it. And uh, um, there were a lot of lessons learned. Uh, right away but yeah that's that's sort of a, a emblematic of the entire show the how creative the uh the fight sequences were and and uh that was really a combination of of writing and then and then justin and his guys bringing the writing to life for sure yeah well it's it's so impressive to me because i i i don't know if it's just because i'm 47 and i grew up watching probably some of the same you know the shaw brothers stuff that i would see when i was a yeah. kid and and so for me, there's a sense of geography that you lose when you start doing the fast cutting and it just, it can feel impressive and you could feel the sense of what's going on, but it never really fully, I'm not blown away by it. It's, you know, yeah. when I watch something like police story, um, that's something that just, you're, you're watching that going, oh my God, there's people doing that. It's just like, there, there's no magic trick. It's just there on the screen. And it's something that even if it's not as I guess as propulsive necessarily as the quick cutting is, and it doesn't have that intensity behind it. There's a different thing happening there. That's just a, my God, this is something that's really happening right there. And yeah. like, are these people going to be okay? Kind of yeah. thing. It's more of a dance, right? Yeah. It's more of a dance than it is a, a technological exercise. And um, there's a really great um, YouTube video that you can find. It's, and it's of Jackie, an interview with Jackie Chan. And he's talking about the difference between Hollywood and Hong Kong filmmaking style and in it the, the sort of core of his argument is that in hong kong you you sit back and you tell the story and you you rely a lot more on your performers to take the to take the brunt of the uh, of the action uh, under their shoulders literally you know yeah and, and sure you know people people get hurt but it's all in in <laughs> it sounds so callous to say that but but I think his point was that the dedication to the art form is so much more profound in in, in Hong Kong filmmaking, and um, the expectations to to get it right in the wide, no matter how many takes. You know, if it takes seventy five takes crashing through a window, then that's what it takes to get it right. I mean, in the realities of modern filmmaking, we don't have that luxury, you know, to do that sort of thing. We'd need Jackie on set to fight for that, but. Um, well, I mean, you had but, Michelle Yeoh who did that police story three motorcycle thing. That's still one of the most insane things that I've ever seen. So. Right, so great. Um, but um, it, it, he that video really illustrates his points with with like here's how it plays in the ballet in the wide, yeah. and then here's how it plays in Hollywood when it's cut, 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 triple cuts. You know, and a lot of times the cutting of it kind of betrays the action in mm. in. And, and that video explains it and how it's the timing of, of cutting to a, you know, to a hit across the face, for example. Um, 
And his point being that that a lot of Hollywood editors don't don't back the shot up enough when they when they triple cut something and 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 you miss the impact of the of the of the hit or of the explosion or of the you know whatever it is that's happening. Um, and his other point that was really interesting that we kind of took to heart a bit of this was that in in a Hollywood movie or in a Hong Kong movie, you're always looking at an underdog and and a, you know a, a Samson and Goli- uh, 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 Goliath, right? David and Goliath, and, yeah. David and Goliath, sorry. Um, and you always end up rooting for the underdog. It's always the underdog that falls behind. It's always the underdog that the audience gets behind. And the and the the solution to the to the fight or the resolution of the fight in the end is is the underdog coming up with something clever and outwitting the the bad guy. Yeah. Whereas in Hollywood, it's fight, 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 cut, cut, cut. Nobody knows what's happening, and then somebody pulls out a gun and gets shot, or there's an explosion, and then it's over. So there's the the resolution to like the very fundamentals of the of the um, the motivation for the sequence in the beginning and the resolution of the sequence are so opposite between you know between Hong Kong and uh, and Hollywood that uh, so we were trying to to embrace that and give the fight sequences you know a little bit more soul a little bit more heart you know um get the audience behind the the underdog well you you do (laughs) it's hard not to pull for people that are fighting inflatable dinosaurs at some point (laughs) series so it's just it yeah and i think that there is you give that the room to breathe but you also do some of the tighter cutting in that which just feels like there's this absurdity to use that hollywood style ending in that moment and or hollywood editing rather in that moment that i really appreciate it uh, i laughed out loud when i read that scene i was like this is this is the best thing i've ever i've ever read and, and that was honestly on the on when we were shooting that sequence um we'd picked um we'd picked this location that worked geographically really well for the sequence mm-hmm. but didn't work at all for for sun direction and and early on, I was, I was just having to tell myself, look, you know, we're just going to have to ab- abandon the idea of shooting everything in a nice backlight and keeping it all, you know, um, ro- not romantic, but, but you know, good looking. Yeah. Um, and just sort of embrace the hot kind of San Gabriel overhead sun and just say, look, this is what it is. It's an absurd fight sequence in, in some rich kid's backyard um, that, uh, that we're just going to have to, you know, shoot the way it is. And we still... I think we shot that sequence over two days and it was just a scramble the entire time to get, you know, to get each shot set up. It was, it was, that was one of the hardest sequences in the entire movie. Like I, I, I there's actually something when I'm watching this with my wife, I'm like, how the hell did they keep these things inflated? Like I I've had my kid wear one of these things and I can't keep it up for 10 minutes when he's just walking around trick or treating, let alone people pulling off fight sequences with these things on. So that was among the challenges for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. I, that's one of those things i said that that couldn't have been i'm like that's hollywood magic right there making those things work for that long i I know there's no way that was real yeah yeah and then the you know that the i don't know if you remember the final shot of that sequence when when the brothers the jurassic park the banner we were like we can't we can't not do this we have to do this we need a banner that said so the the uh the chinese text on the banner says when dinosaurs ruled the earth (laughs) Well, I mean, I caught it because it was the when they were first walking in because you show it and it's it's that yeah. black yeah. banner with the red font on it. You're like, oh, that's I, I I don't I don't speak I can't read this, but 
I think that's what that's going for right there. And then, yeah. of course, at the end, you're like, ah, oh, of course. All right. Yeah. This is this is fun. I mean, and that's something I could show my I, there's a lot in here I wouldn't show my eight year old, but I could show him that moment. And I think he would really appreciate that scene. So, <laughs> yeah. but this is, um, I, I have, I'm having a blast with this thing. I only got just this morning, the first two episodes in and I, you, oh. you've ruined, you've ruined my weekend, man. Cause I know <laughs> that I'm going to be after this, got to go pick up my kid coming home and I'm going to watch another six episodes of this thing today. So I'm going to be oh, right this out. Cause this is, well, I hope you really enjoy it. I, I Oh, if, if you keep up, what I've seen so far. Um, yeah, it, that, that, that's it. If you can pull this off and somehow keep this, which I think you you will. I feel like I'm in comfortable hands at this point. So <laughs> I, feel, I have faith this is going to keep yeah. up. I think it holds together. Yeah, Good. Sure. Awesome. Well, <laughs> con- congratulations, man. You got something really special here. And uh, oh, I can't you. wait for people to see this because I think this is going to be one of those ones that people share for a while. So a lot of things in the streaming world become somewhat disposable. I think this one's going to stick around for a while, man. All right. I'm glad you feel that way. That's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, it was really nice to meet you, Kim. I appreciate it, man. And uh, I'm looking forward to whatever you got coming down the pike next, even if it is a, a Christmas special. You got good taste. So I I, I, I I trust what you choose to do. Oh, thanks. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, man. Take care. Enjoy, Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, man. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
Voice Crack.